You are listening to the Legal Community Podcast, hosted by Guy Remond and Dave Zampano, powered by Guider. Guider provides self-service online legal documents supported by your local attorney. Fast, affordable, and in your own time. For more information and resources, please visit guider.legal and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Community Podcast. I am Lisa Rozier, and today we're changing it up a little bit. We have Dave Zampano with us. I think Guy is someplace on vacation and uh, enjoying the sunshine. And in addition, we have Brittany Sharon joining us along with Dane Ciolino, two new names in our podcast for our listeners. And so, Dave, I know you've worked very closely with Brittany and Dane as well, so I'm going to let you handle the introductions and then talk to let our guests know our topic of conversation today. Thank you, Lisa. You know, today's conversation is one that makes attorneys wake up in the middle of the night sweating, right? They scare the heck out of us in law school about making sure we remain ethically compliant. So today I've invited Brittany Sharon, the trainer at Lawyers with Purpose, head of education there. She's been working there for how many years now, Brittany? It has been, well, I was practicing attorney for estate planning attorney for five and a half years, went on maternity leave, and now I have been with Lawyers with Purpose as the director of education for about two years, but have been involved with Lawyers with Purpose for about seven. Gotcha. And so you're talking to the lawyers whose feet are on the ground, always raising all the questions about ethical issues, because today's conversation is about ethics. And attorneys, how often does that come up in conversations with you in serving the members? Well, it's not quite every day, but we certainly get a bunch of help desk questions here and there about my malpractice insurance or how I should deal with conflicts of interest. There's a lot of things that apply with estate planning and ethics across the board. So it comes up here and there, definitely, with with all of our members. Cool. And we also have with us today, Dane Salino, who is an ethics practicing attorney, right? You represent attorneys across the country who may have ethics violations or issues. You're also a professor at Loyola University in New Orleans, and you have a very impressive curriculum vitae, which we can uh, attach to the podcast for others. How about you, Dane, when you're working with lawyers, tell me when you engage with them and these ethical issues are up, what's their state of mind typically? Unlike Britt, I get ethics questions every hour. Uh, That's what I do. I I get them from my students in my legal profession class at Loyola in New Orleans. I get them from lawyers. I get them from former students. I get them from clients unhappy with their lawyers. Those issues are coming at me all sorts of different ways. It's a wide range of of issues from issues about fees and confidentiality and conflicts, professional independence, the whole range. And apropos of what we're talking about today, many of these issues relate to, to using technology. Lawyers are are scared of new technologies. And the first thing that they always ask is whether it's, uh, quote, ethical for me to use this fancy new device, whether it's a cell phone or a fax machine, you name it, it's going to frighten the bejesus. More recently, Zoom and things like that, right? Exactly. And, uh, and I think, and Brittany, I know you're involved on the development side too of uh, new softwares and technology and trying to get lawyers to adapt those new technologies. You know, as I think about, I'm going to share my experience and I'm going to ask both of you to give your opinion. And I'm sorry, I'm 
for those of you who've been listening to me long enough on this podcast, you know I'm pretty much out there and I'm pretty direct with my statements. But I got two other people that could tell me I'm full of it. But I find that most lawyers become paralyzed by the concept of ethics, not by the reality of it, by the concept. And most use it, and I'm going to say this as softly as I can, as an excuse not to do something or to bury their head in the sand or to. So what has been your experience, either one of you, you know, as it pertains to lawyers and how they interact with this ethical conversation in general? Lawyers are a conservative lot and they are worriers. So those are probably good things because the lawyers who don't worry about these issues or at least seriously think about them stumble into problems. But my experience when they're calling me the tenor of those conversations. You know, you had said something, Dane, I had the opportunity to work with you and thankful. I'm thankful to you that you came and you actually did the preface to the book Guy and I recently authored, excited that has now available uh, on Amazon. It's called The Digitization of Law, How to Transform Technologies disruptions into abounding opportunities. So, Dane, one of the things you said in the preface was that while the ethics laws have been around forever, they're not archaic. They're actually designed for a way of behavior, not the way of applying the behavior. So we can apply it through technology. We can use all kinds of things that doesn't change our thought process and how we have to really just be attached to the underlying element of the ethical issue. How would you expand on that? You always have to go back to first principles. And just because something is new doesn't mean there needs to be some ethics rule that expressly allows it. Of course, when fax machines first came out, there was not a fax machine rule that said fax machines are okay. Remember how the rules work. The rules generally, by and large, don't tell you what you can do. They simply tell you what you can't do. It's a prohibitory code. So really kind of look at the ethics issues related to technology from a completely different perspective than most lawyers take. It's not, do the rules allow that? It's really, do the rules prohibit it? And the short answer is almost always no, as long as the lawyer's exercising reasonable care. And of course, that duty to exercise reasonable care cuts across the ethics standards. And with regard to For example, cloud storage of information, gathering information from a client. Can you do that on a web platform? And the short answer is there's nothing that prohibits it, although you must exercise reasonable care in protecting the confidentiality and integrity of that data, which is not hard to do, which is not hard to do. Most of the modern platforms have built-in encryption levels and security. They're all password protected. Sometimes there's two-level authentication that's available. The, the bottom line is that the, those standards don't require uber-extraordinary measures, but they do require reasonable care. And as long as lawyers just keep going back to that first principle, then they're going to comply. And Dane, I think that's what I try to tell members when I'm talking to them on the phone. It's exercise that reasonable judgment. I Going back to what Dave said is... I never wanted to hold somebody up or stop somebody from doing something within reason, of course. But like Dave said, I think some people get paralyzed by all of these new changes and things and they want to completely understand it. What do you always say? Analysis paralysis, Dave. You can't just stand still. We are moving toward digital 
efforts all the time. If it's ordering your food, you're ordering your groceries, everything is is starting to go online. So you have to keep up or you're going to get left behind. So I, like Dave, I, I really try to push members toward, you got to dive in there, exercise reasonableness. You know, Brittany, that's an interesting point. And I raise this to both you and Dane. One of the biggest pushbacks we get, and you know, many of the listeners know that Gami and I have worked on a product called Guider. And one of the things, whether it's Guider or some other platform, the idea that lawyers are going to have to shift their practices to a digital format, and that's really the essence of our book, The Digitization of Law. I had a great conversation today with my member advisory board, and they were intrigued to saying, you know, it's really wild. There's just so much changing. People are fearful of what it means. Is it going to mean that you know, doing trust and wills online is going to take away the meat and potatoes of our practice? And the answer is, it's doing it already anyway. And the lawyers are being left out. Legal Zoom is doing it. There's a new one called Vanilla, which is partnering and doing it through all financial services firm. And what's happening is all these organizations are doing it with everything. And the last person in is the lawyer. And I think one of the things we're talking about here, at least we've always professed with the guider platform, is it's about the lawyers first. It's only available through lawyers. So when you're talking to lawyers, each one of you, and, and we have this moment, and I'm going to call it the post-COVID moment. Of course, I don't know if COVID is ever post at the rate we're going. But at the start of COVID, it transferred everything to online where clients wouldn't, you know, I told the story in the past, we couldn't, we were using Zoom since 2018 and our companies, we could not get clients to go on. We couldn't even get financial advisors to go on and meet with us that way. Like, oh no, we'll do it in person. Now, you know, it's transformed. And the idea that lawyers are sitting back right now, what would you say to the lawyers who are sitting back right now and saying, well, no, no, we can't do this. It's going to hurt me. What would you say to them from an ethical standpoint and practice standpoint? From a practice standpoint, COVID was obviously not a good thing for anybody, but it really forced the legal industry to dive into technology because attorneys have a history of, they're a little bit archaic. We like our paper. I want that printed out so I can red pen it. I don't want to do anything on the computer. I'm on a hard file. So COVID really made our members jump into technology, Zoom meetings, like you said, it's probably for the better. I'm a millennial. I want to do everything I possibly can online. I look for online ordering. I want to get online and talk to somebody before I talk on the phone. Is it a good thing, a bad thing? I don't know. But definitely it's forcing our members to to rethink their relationship with technology. And what are some of the things that you've heard from members that you've reached out to Dane about? That, that you and Dana have conversations around and helping them embrace this a little easier. We're swallowing a little bit more around this ethics pill we talk about. Yeah, a couple of things have come up. Some of the most frequently asked questions, like I said at the beginning, was do I have to update my malpractice insurance if I'm doing something different or new? And I think Dane can speak to that, but generally it's, are you still practicing estate planning? If so, I don't really know what needs to change. And, you know, Dane, maybe you can speak more to that. Yeah, and it really depends on your insurance policy. And I I don't pretend to have looked at all of the leading policies in, in the area. So many underwriters issue malpractice policies. But the short answer, or the guess, really, is probably not. I mean, you have to add new lawyers. You have to, if the nature of your practice has changed, if, for example, you've 
gone from doing estate planning to doing patent prosecutions. You generally have to report those sorts of major changes. I'd be surprised if just because you're using a new tool to facilitate your existing practice with your existing lawyers, that anything would change with regard to coverage. And another one that comes up, Dane, now that maybe things are being done remotely, so everybody's not in an office, you have people working from their homes with a lot more cloud-based services coming into play where they can share things you know, over the cloud instead of a drive in their office. I get a lot of questions about what can I have my paralegal do? Can I have my paralegal meet with an attorney? Can I have a or meet with a client? Can I have them review documents? I get a lot of questions about how much does the attorney have to be responsible for versus support staff? And that's a tough question to ask uh, and answer uh, because it just depends on what we're talking about. And it all boils down, uh, I hate to be a broken record on reasonableness, reasonable supervision. Do you have to hover over your paralegal as he is typing a draft will? No, but once he does it in, in his own time, and he gives it to the lawyers, got to go over it and assure herself that the will is going to do what the client wants it to do, that it's going to be enforceable. All of the assets are going to flow the way they're supposed to flow. But that's it. Some people say, well, I, can, I, can I have my paralegal do a first draft of this? Well, of course you can. Paralegals do legal research. They do first drafts of all sorts of legal documents, including wills, trust documents, pleadings. Lawyers just got to exercise reasonable care. I love that. And, you know, so I think as we kind of wind down the session on ethics, I mean, what I would ask each one of you to do in closing here, for all the lawyers listening, what would be your two cents of free advice around this concept of ethics? And again, I would challenge you to open up their mindset, something you can offer them to shift their mindset to get some comfort in the idea of ethics rather than adversity. And uh, why don't we start with you, Brent? We can kind of wrap with you, Dane. I would say when you're thinking about it, know that you have confidence that you learned the rules in law school. It was a required course. You learn the ethics rules. You know them. Follow your gut. If it feels like it's not right, maybe question it, but you cannot be paralyzed by it. So take a chance. Follow that reasonableness standard that Dane talked about. They ain't about you, sir. Think about it. Let me just take a opposite approach from Brett on this. You probably didn't learn all the ethics rules in law school. You were there in that class, but you probably spent a lot of time daydreaming like most students do. Uh, (laughs) And sure, you passed the MPRE to get your law license, but that was a long time ago, and it was a multiple choice question test that you didn't study that much for. Stop. If you've got, uh, and and your gut is your first early warning device, but it's not what you use to do your analysis at the end of the day. Once your gut tells you, wait a second, there's an issue here. Let me go look at the rules and see if what I'm thinking about doing is prohibited by them. The problem with most lawyers, they go, ooh, this is scary new technology. My gut's telling me it doesn't like anything that's scary and new and technological. So I'm not going to do it. Well, uh, no. Remember that gut is just an early warning device. You need to open the rules or consult with a person who knows them off the back of their hand. Open the rules and see if anything in those rules prohibits the use of this new technique, this new process, this new technology. And if not, I can tell you that the general rule of reason is going to govern 
your use of that new technology or that new process. It's got to be reasonably certain to deliver competent legal services. You have to use reasonable care to protect the confidentiality and integrity of your client's information. But once you do those things, and and what's reasonable is just going to depend on the circumstances. But, But some unattainable goal that you've got to foreclose all possible means that the data might be leaked to whatnot. You just have to use reasonable care. I I like both of your perspectives and I'll just add a closing thought to it as well. When in doubt, listen, I'm I'm the I'm an entrepreneur. So for me, Dane, you know, the first thing I did when I had an idea to bring a new concept to lawyers is I called you and I said, I need an ethics opinion on this. And you know we've been working with you ever since. And no matter what we bring to you, it's you're always finding the way to solve it. And that's what I think is important here. I think the message I'm taking away from both of you is ethics are there. We've got them from day one of law school and they're always with us, but they're not meant to be an obstacle. They're meant to be a filter, just a filter that we pass everything through. So I think that's the greatest thing. When in doubt, retain an ethics attorney. I mean, for a few hundred bucks an hour, I've never spent more than you know, you get a simple question answered. Most of them will consult with you on the phone for an hour. You pay three, 400 bucks. But the benefits of what you get from getting that comfort is well worth the three to 400 bucks for the hour's time. So that's my recommendation. Don't go it alone if you're over concerned and always confirm, you know, with any new technology you're doing, don't be afraid to ask the question, have they, is the technology done any research around the ethics issues? So that being said, Lisa, it wraps what, another great session. Yeah, what another great session. Absolutely. Britt, Dane, Dave, and all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. What a great, great conversation. I think we'll be getting some emails with some further questions. So Dane, maybe we can send them over to you if they come in. But again, for everyone, this is Legal Community Podcast. And to see a full list of all of our episodes, visit us at guider.legal. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Legal Community Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at guider.legal for more information and please review and share this show. We'll see you next time.